You were listening to From Sobriety to Recovery with Jesse Mogul, episode 161. Let's get to the show. Hello, 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 my friends. Welcome back to From Sobriety to Recovery. I am your host, Jesse Mogul, and I am in addiction recovery. As always, it is an honor and a privilege to have you here. Man, I have been on a whirlwind, a whirlwind of experiences over the last couple weeks. I absolutely went out to Los Angeles to see my girlfriend, which was super dope, and it's amazing. And I'll be talking more about how I'm moving her out here to Noba uh, in future episodes. But first and foremost, I would like to discuss how I went to my very first rave. Mind you, not like my old Orlando raves and tiny little clubs where everyone's sweating next to each other and gnawing on our jaws, but absolutely a place where people were listening to trance music. It was the State of Trance 1000 which should have been celebrated two years ago, but because of the pandemic, it was celebrated now. And so uh, I happened to be out there for it. So I got to see Armin Van Buren and Ruben Duran and Gabrielle and Dresden. And it was just absolutely amazing. Uh, It was just so intense, you know, to stand up and dance when I wanted to, or just sit down and listen whenever I didn't want to dance. It was amazing. Uh, went to the San Diego Safari Park, got to drive t- in, a, in this uh, this sidecar motorcycle thing through the wineries of Temecula. Uh, just an amazing Southern California experience as I officially really begin to say goodbye to that region and, um, you know, not ever, not going back. And in fact, not so, so not going back, I'm moving my girlfriend to Northern Alabama to Huntsville because... <laughs> That's officially saying that you're here for a long time, and I'm super pumped about that, and uh, just on so many levels, that's just going to be just the most amazing experience, and it already is proving to be. And then I went and helped my sister move from an old crappy studio apartment that we've been dying to get her out of into this beautiful one-bedroom apartment. If you are into makeup artistry at all or just want to see someone just really showing their talents to the world in an amazing way, Mystic Canvas uh, I think it's canvas with two S's. Either way, when you see this amazing tattooed up woman with really serious uh, uh, makeup artistry skills, that's my sister. And uh, go over to TikTok. She uh, responds to most of my TikToks, so you'll be able to see who she is. And I would highly recommend checking her out if you're into that kind of stuff. It is phenomenal. And so it was awesome moving her into a new apartment. Then I went and spent some time with my folks at their retirement lake house. Um, out there in the southeastern portion of Oklahoma. It is phenomenal as well. And so now here I am back in Huntsville, getting myself back into the integration of my normal everyday life, uh, which is going to become even more chaotic once I get Jen out here. And next thing you know, we got a house and we got all this other cool stuff going on. Uh, I am pacing back and forth outside of my um, brother's father-in-law's house where I've been staying for the last six months uh, watching their dog. So occasionally I will have to pause the uh, recording because this little dippo likes to go a little too close to the street and we're still teaching him not to do that. And so it's uh, it's very fun watching the dog sort of explore. And I'm like, okay, either be outside with birds singing around me in a beautiful sunshine all around or be it cooped up inside. So we're going to shoot this podcast here today. And what we're going to dive into is something I gave a presentation yesterday at the Recovery Village um, online, and I discussed the core human needs. And this is something that we actually dove into 
a, a long, long, long time ago, um, back in episode three. And when I look back at my notes from episode three, I don't really have any <laughs> in here. And what we're going to start doing throughout the rest of this year and on and on and on is we're going to start retouching upon some of the things that we discussed a while ago. Because episode three was literally three years ago. And so if you have been listening to this show linearly, then you have not had anyone or you have not had me discussing these human needs with their own episode uh, in 158 shows. So it's time to readdress some of the things that we've talked about in the past to make sure you are fully integrating this kind of awareness into your sobriety and recovery. Because here's the thing, just because we discuss something once doesn't mean that we've mastered it. I don't honestly believe that there is such a thing as mastery. I believe you can be very good and excel at something. You know, there can be the samurai fighter who is super dope and amazing and all this other stuff. But even they would tell you, have they mastered it? No, because there's a humility that comes with understanding that we are always seeking to achieve and grow more. Even in our relationships, right? When I was in my teenage and 20-something years, if a relationship became too much work, that was it. I wanted out. And then you realize as you get older that it's that work. It's, it's, it's building that relationship up to a, something that you not previously ever having achieved. That's where the glory in a relationship is. Constantly seeking the exotic and every single day has got to be exciting. Like we're shooting ourselves off in a rocket and we're always riding roller coasters. That is too intense. And that's where we're going to discuss the human needs today. Because as you begin to fully understand how these human needs are being sought to uh, be fulfilled by your unconscious mind with some help of your conscious mind, of course, you will begin to understand what motivates you. Why does your mind organize your life the way that it does? What's fueling what was fueling your addiction? What is now fueling your sobriety and recovery? How is your mind making meaning of your life inside your head? And then how can you focus your energy on desirable outcomes? What if you start going down an undesirable path and you want to get yourself back on the right track? These core human needs are going to be how you achieve that. Now, I gave this presentation uh, yesterday, and I'm not going to do the whole presentation for you um, because I'm actually going to get a copy of it and put it inside the um, hub. So if you're a member of the hub, you'll actually be able to go back and watch it once they give me access to it. I'm super pumped about that. Um, but you know, when it's At least with this episode, once it's all said and done, you're going to be able to fully understand why you kept using why you started to seek sobriety and recovery. Sobriety and recovery. And that's one of the questions I get the most. And I get so many messages. And again, I hope I've been able to find you on social media. I've done my best. And for some of you, I did not do a very good job. So I apologize for some of you sitting off in this hidden folder. Literally, it's called like hidden stories or something on Instagram. And there's like stuff that like from freaking three years ago. And I'm like, well, that's awesome. That'd have been great to have seen. I don't know when they originally sent it. Um, So what we're going to do as we dive into this today is we're really going to attach why, you know, answer these questions. Why did I do it? Why did you do it? Why did everyone else do the things that they did? It's because of these core human needs. It's because of how we take these individual experiences, events, moments that we've had in our lives, and how our brain uses this this system to organize it. Now, if you've ever heard of CT far, circumstances, events lead to thoughts, feelings, and then actions and results. What we're going to focus today is on the actions. 
What are your actions? What are your behaviors doing that are opening you up to either fulfilling these core human needs or not fulfilling these core human needs? Now, I just turned this into, not on purposely, mind you, but definitely my usual Jesse way. I just turned this into a uh, hour-long podcast for the College Success Habits show. So I'm going to do my best to reel it in a little bit because the month of May on The Hub is going to be all about these core human needs and how you can begin to identify where you're fulfilling them or not fulfilling them in your life, in your sobriety and recovery journey. Because the moment you can bring this into your awareness... Because you're already attaching this stuff unconsciously, right? Whether you, I'm not going to show you how you attach them. You're already attaching them. I'm just going to bring into your awareness how you can begin to understand within yourself how you've been attaching them, right? These human needs have always existed. From the moment we were inside of a belly, they were existing. I'm just going to bring them into your awareness so that you can start harnessing these as the powerful motivator that they are. And since I already know, based off what I just experienced over the last hour, that this could get way long, we're just going to dive in because it's time that we discuss these core human needs again. It's been 158 episodes. It's literally 158 weeks. Plus or minus probably like 20 weeks because I don't do a show every single week. First and foremost, what we want to understand about these core human needs is they are motivators. This is one of the reasons why you do the things that you do. At at, At its core level, This is really what's driving you to do the things that you do. Having these needs not being met as a child caused you to start to look for external ways uh, to seek them out for fulfillment that led you down the path that ultimately led you here to listening to this show today. Now, what's funny is that some people will be like, they had the perfect childhood and they still turned into an addict. Just because these core human needs are being... um, figured out necessarily in a good or bad way by other people's perspective does not dictate that that's how your human mind will organize it. Okay, so where was I? Because the dog just got off into the other yard. And so I had to pause and go and get the dog. And the dog is staring at me now, uh, very pissed off that I will not throw the ball. And that I am standing outside on a headset. It is like the saddest face ever. Like, fine, I will just sit here with this ball by my face and look at you sadly because you will not come over and play with me. <laughs> so this dog is currently fulfilling parts of its human needs <laughs> as a dog. And we're going to get into how that is actually happening right here in front of me. And we're going to really dive into how these human needs were not being met by me as a child in a more uh, productive way. And ultimately how my addiction began to lead them and um, be able to fulfill them in the ways that I was seeking, and ultimately how I was able to attach these human needs to everything that I do today. When I was first introduced to these by Matt Browning, my mentor and the person who's taught me so much of what I do and know, um, it was a toss-off sentence for him. We were in the middle of the very first seminar I'd ever done with him, didn't know his, didn't know him from Adam, just had heard him on the radio and went to one of his things. And he talked about how when you, he talked about these six human needs, these core human needs um, that were popularized by Tony Robbins, um, but had also been discussed by Carl Jung, had been discussed by Robert Dilt, been discussed by Maslow, you know, the Dilt's Pyramid, Maslow's Hierarchy of Needs. These are things that people who joined the hub last year have heard about because they're, they're a part of the old, uh, the old hub. And the new hub, I haven't put them in yet because it's all part of 
uh, my master plan to release things out a little bit slower. And in the month of May in the hub, we are going to be diving into these core human needs, which I've got a video about them. I've got a video about the old pyramid, Maslow's hierarchy of needs. We're even going to put the human model in there, the circumstances, thoughts, feelings, actions, results. These are what we're going to be teaching this month so that we can understand how our mind motivates us to do things. Because the, and like Matt had said in that one seminar, he's like, when you attach three or more of these human needs to an activity, it can either lead you towards a desirable or an undesirable outcome. And he's like, and if you attach three or more of these to um, an addictive substance, then it becomes an addiction. And the moment he said that, it was like, ding, 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 ding. No freaking way. Like, so these human needs were at the core motivating factor of why I spent 22 years in addiction. I got to know more. And so I dove deep, deep, deep into this. And there's a reason why it was episode three. There's a reason why I believe that this is so important. Because this is what's been motivating you guys. This is what continues to motivate you and what will motivate you. And when you don't feel these human needs being met, think about perhaps a homeless person or perhaps a, a, a senior citizen in a nursing home, right? If all of a sudden they don't feel that certain of these human needs are being met, then their life is going to feel less than. They might uh, dive into depression. They might dive into sadness, simply because these human needs aren't being met. And now, because you're aware of them, you might have somebody in your life and you're like, oh, I see. They're not getting their significance, their contribution met. They don't feel like they're growing. They feel like their life is stagnant. Their life is a little too safe, a little too set in its ways. They need a little bit more variety or uncertainty in their life. Or, oh, their life is so chaotic. They need a little bit more security and stability. Oh, I see. This person's lashing out and acting out because they're seeking love and connection. And they're not getting it in a desirable way from those that they love. So they're seeking it from other people who, in order to be a part of that group, is asking them to um, steal and lie and cheat and do bad things. It's all part of fulfilling these human needs. And when you get into sobriety and recovery, the beautiful thing about it is things that we learned in our addiction don't need to be disappeared. They don't need to all go away. In fact, if we reverse engineer what fueled our addiction for so many years, we can actually build our life of sobriety and recovery off the same things. It's just taking it apart and saying, okay, well, this was clearly taking me down this undesirable path. Let's just take all the pieces, lay them out on the table, and let's just rebuild it towards a desirable direction. Your ability to be resourceful and take care of yourself and always make sure you had drugs and alcohol around you, no matter what was going on with your money, you always knew you could get high, right? What if we just turned that power of resourcefulness and ingenuity and ability to always have money to get high, what if you just took that apart and rebuilt it as resourcefulness and ingenuity and and an ability to always have money to pay your rent on time and to pay your car insurance and to pay your, your car payment and to have food in your refrigerator? You're using similar resourcefulness and ingenuity in order to achieve the same thing, which is having money for what you need, for what you want. We're just changing what it is you need and want. That's the power of this. That's the motivating factor that has been happening unconsciously throughout your entire life. I'm not going to show you how you're attaching these because you've already been attaching these. I'm going to bring into your awareness how these have been attached. And then you can step back and say, is this leading me where I want to go? Is my desirable outcome ahead or am I going down 
an undesirable path. In the hub, of course, being Jesse, I have created manuals and I have created bonus materials. Um, even the speech at the Recovery Village will be in there. Um, I will have various interviews coming out based off how people have utilized this in their lives. In fact, if you want to be a part of that uh, interview process, then you definitely are going to want to join the tribe because those are the people that I ask to come on and discuss with me how the tribe has helped them, how the hub is helping them, and how they are using this material to better their lives. So if you absolutely want to be a part of what it is that's growing here, one day this will be a group of tens of thousands, and right now you can get in at the tens of tens. And I love that it's growing slowly because it's allowing me to learn how to really um, build this up in a way that is going to benefit the most people long term. I'm even just researching my book right now, and a lot of the stuff that we're talking about on this show this year is going to be things that make its way into the book, right? I'm shooting for New York Times bestseller. I don't have the $50,000 I've been told it takes to have a marketing campaign that'll get me a New York Times bestseller, but I'm shooting for having a big enough following, a big enough tribe that you guys help me figure that out without spending 50 Gs, because I don't got it. <laughs> So anyways, nice little sidebar. Thank you for going down that path with me. And the dog is a little bit more relaxed, chewing on sticks in the yard now. So no more sad faces. So let's think about Delt's Pyramid. Let's think about Maslow's Hierarchy of Needs. And you can Google those things if you want, or you can join the tribe and you can just learn from it from me if you enjoy this. And mind you, I do make the videos on the hub much more succinct because I do realize that I can scroll around a little bit. And while that is super enjoyable as a podcast, may not always be enjoyable as a learning apparatus, as a learning system. So let's think about these core human needs, guys. This is what's been motivating you. Certainty is the first one. Variety or uncertainty is the second one. Significance is the third one. Love and connection is the fourth one. And growth and contribution are the the fifth and the sixth ones. And they really pair up nicely. Certainty and uncertainty pair up, just like significance and love and connection pair up, and just like growth and contribution pair up. So while there are six human needs, there's actually three pairs. And you've unknowingly been attaching these to your addiction, and now you're going to be able to knowingly attach them to your sobriety and recovery. So we're going to break them down based off of these pairs so that I can, one, make it a little bit more succinct, and two, so that you will start to understand how you don't live your life in a bubble how all six of these can be playing out at the same time. Um, it's just which one are you feeling more of an emphasis on? A homeless person, you might think that it doesn't have much, right? They don't have much certainty. They don't have much stability in their life, but maybe they thrive on that uncertainty, right? But then there's definitely times where they wish they could just hide in their tent all day and, be, and feel safe, but they don't necessarily have that ability because they live on the street. But they have significance, they have connection, they have contribution because they have managed to build themselves up with people around them that they can sort of kind of trust. So they have a sense of community. You may not realize it's there, but trust me, as somebody who lived in Hollywood for years, the same homeless people pretty much live in that same 10 to 20 block radius. They all know who one another is. And I've absolutely seen them share booze and cigarettes and drugs and food. So there is absolutely a sense of community happening there. There can also be the, the bullies who come in and, and mess it all up, but it's still there, right? And that bully is getting their human needs met in a different way. Obviously, undesirably for the people who he is picking on or she is picking on, but still the needs are being met. So in this certainty, this very first one, let's discuss it. 
Because when you start to ask yourself, where was certainty being met or not being met as a child, right? We are all children, and then we have these traumas, we have these sufferings, we have these moments in our lives that do some level of quote-unquote damage to us. They, and we don't internalize them in a healthy way. We begin to internalize them in an undesirable way that, that ultimately leads our mindset to get skewed. And next thing you know, we start to seek to fulfill these needs through um, other means outside of ourselves that could lead us down a bad road if the first people who are like, hey, we'll accept you into our club happens to be, you know, the emo crowd underneath the bleachers doing drugs. And they're the first people who have ever accepted you into the inner circle of their friendom. All right. Then you just went from a straight eight student to somebody who dresses up all emo and does drugs. Right now, mind you, I have t- not knocking on the emo crowd. I have definitely seen the var- the varsity blues crowd doing the drugs too. So if whatever, if you're all of a sudden good at sports, and the next thing you know, one of the one of your favorite friends on the sports team starts bringing drugs around, and you won't want to lose your significance. You don't want to lose your connection with that person. Next thing you know, you're doing drugs with them, and that's how that's how alcohol and drugs and addiction can actually show up onto a team atmosphere is somebody who is powerful enough and has enough sway with people can begin to introduce them to things that take them down a a bad path because the person doesn't want to lose those core human needs being met through that team-oriented system. So when you're a child and you're looking for certainty, which is that avoidance of pain and that seeking of pleasure, we're all children seeking pleasure. Right, we know what pain feels like. We burn our hands, we fall on the ground, we eat broccoli and instead of chocolate, we're seeking for the pleasure. Right? We're looking for that stability. We're looking for that safety, that security, the predictability, the order, the consistency of life. No matter how much I liked traveling for the last 18 days, I can assure you just getting back in this home where all my crap was and where my car is parked, you know, nicely in the driveway and even standing out here watching the dog act the fool while birds and bees fly around me, there is a sense of order here. I enjoy this. As much as I love traveling, I enjoy just being home around all my stuff in my nest. No matter how much the birds and the butterflies enjoy migrating, they are, they are always aiming for a place. Probably the same place based off of just what we know about birds and, and butterflies migration patterns. They generally are going to the exact same place and sometimes the same branch on the same tree. That's how specific they can be about this. We all have that certainty that we're seeking. So when your certainty wasn't being met at a young age, you began to set it and seek it out in other places. And like I was mentioning earlier, you know, you might see somebody like, wow, they were the preacher's daughter or son, or, you know, they were raised in a house full of wealth, right? Their certainty, their safety, their stability was locked in. Why did they seek it out another way? Why did they become an addict? Maybe there was too much certainty, too much stability. There wasn't enough of the other human needs being met, so they started to seek them being met through other means that we would have decided was undesirable, which again is subjective perspective. But, you know, you have that rich kid or you have that, you know, that preacher's uh, kid. All of a sudden, life is so certain that they start seeking uncertainty. They start seeking variety. They, They want more of that chaos. They want more of that unknown pushing the limits, testing the boundaries. Let's face it, get a couple of drinks in any one of us and boy, new experiences, pushing limits, testing boundaries. I mean, that just sort of became our MO, right? Like how many stories you got to start off with, man, I was so fucked up. God, I was so wasted. 
I was so wasted. Next thing you know, I was riding on the top of my buddy's car, and I was holding on to the rails that the bicycle should have been on. I was, like, surfing down the road. And you're like, what the F and L? Are you kidding me right now? Like, that is dangerous. And you're like, oh, man, it was cool by me, right? Because impulse control gets shut off by this, these, these substances in our bodies, and all of a sudden, we're making decisions that there ain't no way in hell we'd have made if we were sober. Somebody's like, oh, yeah, let's get on top of that car and ride it down the, the road at 70 miles an hour. I mean, yeah, there's some teenagers who are sober that sure as hell would do that. But let's face it, at some point in their lives, you're like, maybe I don't get on the roof of a car going 70 miles an hour. I got three stories like that. That's why I keep going back to it. So there is that variety and that uncertainty, those challenges, these surprises, excitement, difference, chaos, adventure, change. Right? If your life is too stable, you're going to start to seek variety and uncertainty. You're going to start to seek out instability. This need to have, oh, I had to unpause and pause and unpause again because the dog officially would not stop leaving the yard. So now the dog is grounded and inside, and I will still stand out here and be warm in the sunshine with the birds and the bees. And she can sit inside because she's in timeout. (laughs) So. So back to variety and uncertainty. This is what we began to look for. This is what the rich kid or this is what the, the preacher's kid could sort of looked for. That we were looking for these chaos, this adventure, this change, these differences. We're, you know, when I first left college, hell, even while I was in college, I was always seeking out some level of exoticness. Some, you know, I just wanted new, 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 new. And it led to a very chaotic life. This is where you might find uh, a couple who constantly argues right? Because they can't just be comfortable in silence and in contentment. But no, instead, it's got to be chaos. There's got to be that ebb and flow of happy, sad, happy, sad, make up sex, mad, make up sex, mad, make up sex, mad, right? This is that the, that couple looking for that variety and that uncertainty within the relationship because, they, because of an inability to find it in more desirable ways versus a relationship where it's so stable, it's so certain that it feels like there's a level of stagnation. And this is where the imbalances can result in boredom or it can in stagnation or a sense of or feeling of chaos in one's life. If you're feeling stagnant, if you're feeling bored, or if you're feeling that your life's too chaotic, then your certainty and your uncertainty variety need are being met um, imbalancedly. Imbalancedly? I don't even think that's a word. Yeah, they've been, they're being met at an imbalance. So now you want to begin to start to seek out ways of st- stabilizing yourself or bringing in a little bit more excitement. And we can attach this to our sobriety and recovery just like we attached it in our addiction, right? You can have that certainty and that stability of going to a certain meeting or joining a certain club and always knowing that you're going to be able to go there on you know, Mondays at 6.30 like I do Dharma Recovery here, right? Or you can also... You know, if you're needing a little bit more excitement, um, I think they, what they call it asphalt recovery. It was like sometimes uh, we go off and we go to other people's meetings, other Dharma recovery meetings, especially new ones that are starting out. I think there's one around here we're trying to go to um, soon just to be supportive, right? That's bringing in variety. That's bringing in newness. So if in your sobriety and recovery, you're noticing a sense of boredom or stagnation, you're not pushing yourself enough. And we're going to get into that with personal growth here in a moment. Um, and you're, you're also, if you're feeling that your your life is still chaotic, even though that you're sober, then you haven't sought out enough ways of creating certainty and safety, right? And a lot of that comes from emotional um, emotional intelligence work, financial stability, having a job you know that you can trust. Do you like going there? Is it emotionally draining? Then seek a new job. 
I know sometimes finding a new job cannot be easy, but I, I'll tell you what, it'd be a hell of a lot more fun to put in six months or a year finding a new job that can be um, all enveloping and, and benefit your life than staying at the same place that you've always been because it's comfortable, but yet you're miserable. This is that comfortably uncomfortable we talk about. You're not really comfortable there. You're actually quite uncomfortable there. But you're so set in your stability and security you have from knowing exactly what to do and how to behave and all the patterns and habits have been established at that job that you're afraid of stepping outside of it. But in a year, you could be at a job that's way more fulfilling, that makes you way happier, and you could have already established brand new habits there. Right? Sometimes it's you know it's like the grass is greener on the other side. Sometimes it is, sometimes it isn't. But you, if you're miserable at one thing, then you've got to do something to shift it. And if you can't change your work environment, you have to change your work environment. You can't make people change. So if you can't change the people around you by showing them better ways to live through watching how you're living, then it's time that you start to change the people around you, i.e. finding new people to be around you. And this is a beautiful segue to the next pair significance and love and connection. When we're significant in people's lives, we feel special, important, unique. We feel needed. Humans have this desire to be needed. We are social animals. We join tribes for a reason. By ourselves, back in the day as cave people, we would have been eaten up by all the saber-toothed cats or stomped on by all the woolly mammoths. We would not have made it through. We had to join tribes. And then when we joined tribes, we were so afraid of being ostracized from the tribe because if we were ostracized, now we're living on the prairie, now we're living in the world alone, now we're definitely, definitely going to have a higher propensity rate of dying. So we stayed in these tribes. And even if the tribe started to go off to the left or off to the right, we were so afraid of leaving the tribe of the significance and the love and connection that we had created in this tribe that we allowed it to take us down a path we didn't really want to go down. Anybody who's, a, who's into politics might say, man, the Democrats and the Republicans of the 80s are not the Democrats and Republicans of the 2020s, and you would be right. To, you would be absolutely right to say that. But if, you, but if you're so afraid of pushing your own thoughts and beliefs and values out into the open and deciding if there's a different political party, if there's a different way of going about things, maybe you should run for office, then you're holding on to the Democrats and the Republicans because that's just what you've always known, even if they are no longer in alignment with who you are. But you're so afraid of stepping outside of the tribe because what would happen if you're all alone and trying to figure this out? So you stay in this tribe even if it's no longer benefiting you. That significance, this, this desire to have meaning in our life, to be needed, wanted, desired, admired, to feel special, important, to feel worthy of love. I have caught myself saying things like, well, as soon as my business is, uh, is taken off, then I'll be worthy of love. I am worthy of love now, just because I'm not a worldwide household name. And I'm not, I am not, you know, known throughout the land like Tony Robbins or Eckhart Tolle does not mean that I still do not have a level of significance in people's lives. I get messages every single day about how this stuff is is helping change perspectives and guiding people toward they're meant to be in life. If I can only keep one person, and I know for a fact that I've kept more than one people from taking their life, then hallelujah, my work here is hitting its mark. I won't stop. I will continue to go because a month from now, somebody completely new is going to find me and it's going to change their lives. And that matters. I have my significance need being met by being a part of people's sobriety and recovery. 
when I first got sober and I started learning about all of this stuff, I got my certainty and my variety locked down. And then all of a sudden I started to talk about neuro-linguistic programming and my addiction recovery program. And I felt people gravitating towards the things I was saying. I felt significant in their life because I was helping them in meetings and outside of meetings and things of that nature. I felt important. I felt uh, needed and wanted. And next thing you know, I'm doing it as a podcast. And that's how love and connection came in. Because we're all seeking love and connection. Again, this goes back to that tribal mentality. We want to feel close. We want to feel a strong bond, like a real legitimate strong bond with people. Family, friends, inner circle, absolutely the person that we're romantically involved with. Our, or, you know, let's throw in our children and our grandchildren, right? Like our husband or wife or whatever you call that partner that you've had forever and will love forever and honor and cherish. Whatever, you, whatever title you want to throw out with that, go for it. Right, But we definitely want that love and connection with our partner. And when we don't have that love and connection with our partner, right, we're arguing, we get angry, we could think that's a trigger to go back to using. But that's a choice you're making. You could stop on a dime like I have recently and been like, okie dokie, the way we are communicating is not working. It's time to change the way we communicate yelling at each other, getting angry with each other, not communicating at all what we really want, need, and desire in the relationship, it's not working. It's the definition of insanity, trying to do the same thing over and over again and expecting a different result. The other definition of insanity is thinking that Albert Einstein never made up that quote. But more importantly to this conversation is that if you keep doing things the same way, you're going to continue to get similar results. If you want more love and connection in people's lives and you're not finding it and you legitimately want it, like you really, really want that, you're going to have to make some awesome changes, right? Throw in a little bit more certainty or a little bit more variety because that's probably where it's not being met, right? Are you bringing a safety? Are you bringing a stability to the relationship? Or is it so safe and so stable that it feels stagnant? It feels boring. So how can you up-level with some excitement? How can you go on some really cool adventures around your house that don't have to cost an arm and a leg, but can be a new experience that you can then plan for and then talk about and then go to and then talk about afterwards? That's healthy relationships. So when you are feeling close and you're feeling legitimately a strong bond with somebody, you know you are attaching the human need accordingly. In your childhood, if you didn't feel significant in your family, if you didn't feel that love and connection, right? If you were abused, whether that's physically, emotionally, mentally, or spiritually, now you take on trauma. Now you now there's this uncertainty in your mind that you're not safe in your own home. Is dad going to come home drunk? Is, is, is crazy uncle going to come over and do something nefarious, right? All of a sudden, you're super worried. You feel uncertain. You don't have that certainty of stability and safety locked in. You don't feel like you can control your life. Right now you feel insignificant in the home because you're being abused in some way, right? And now all of a sudden you don't feel that love and connection. You're going to leave the house and seek it somewhere else. And if that means joining a gang, if that means joining the clan, whatever that means, you're going to do it. And you're young and you are whatever you are. And look, subjective perspective aside, right? We're all making decisions to fulfill these core human needs. And if we're standing outside of somebody else's life, judging how they have met these core human needs without knowing anything about what has led led them to this point in our lives, we're just assholes. We're assholes to take on that level of judgment. 
But do you really want someone picking apart your life and saying, oh, really? That's all that happened to you? Your dad spanked you with a leather belt a couple times because you didn't get good grades, and that's why you thought you could do drugs for 22 years? Shit, you don't even know about trauma. I I don't want somebody trying to pick my my part my life. I took the decisions and led myself down the path that I did because I was seeking to fulfill these core human needs at the way I, the best best I knew how at the moment. Presupposition number five of neuro-linguistic programming and the way that I teach it states that everybody is doing the best they can with the resources they have. I think number 12 or 13 says there's no unresourceful people, there's only unresourceful states. So if you meld those two together, and we're all doing the best we can with the resources we have, but when we're in all the resources we have are already inside of us, we're just unresourceful emotional states. When you're not utilizing your resources to the best of your ability for a desirable outcome, it's because your emotional state is not at a level of homeostasis. It's not at a level of balance. And when you were younger, when you were younger and these traumas were happening to you, your little brain could only compartmentalize so much. Children are not resilient. I... It, it, it burns me when I hear people say, oh, children are so resilient. Bullshit! Because if children were resilient, we wouldn't have so many effed up adults. Everybody would be bouncing around like we were a freaking episode of the Smurfs or Care Bears. My Little Pony going on, but we're not. We are a mentally, a mental health challenged society. And it's not because children are resilient. Just because a child doesn't verbalize their pain to you does not mean that it's, the pain is not happening. And we have no idea what's creating the pain. Yo, mommy, mommy, look at me, look at me as I do a somersault enough and eventually mommy stops watching and then the kid starts acting out because they just want to feel significant in their parent's life. Or, or you could have a helicopter parent who shows too much significance in that child's life, and now they don't feel like they have any uh, any excitement, any cert- any un- uncertainty, any variety, because their parent is up their ass so much that they can't do anything even remotely enjoyable as a child, and they're going to lash out. They're going to do it a different way. Finding that perfect balance, I mean, apparently it is not easy to do. Clearly. It is not easy to do. Finding a balance in all this, we don't even know what balance is. Each kid is taking in a different uh, perspective on everything happening around them. So we don't know if one person seems to be thriving in the rich kid preacher home and the other kid seems to be acting out. It's the same. You would think it's the same life. But go talk to your siblings and be like, hey, what do you remember about our parents as children? They are going to have a very, very different perspective. My sister-in-law said the other day, and I think she said it the best I've heard it in quite some time. I talked to my sister about her childhood, and we compared notes, and it's like we had completely different parents. But yet you talk to the parents, and they think that they were doing it very similarly. But yet you over here, you've got the kids saying, hell no, it was completely different. Subjective perspective. They have no idea how it was being, how, they have no idea how it was being absorbed into that child's life. And now you have the life that you had, and look, your traumas are not your fault, but it is your responsibility to heal them. It is got to be your responsibility to heal them. You cannot be 31 or 46 and still saying, well, I'm stuck in this previous belief system because I was raised that way. Yeah, 30 freaking years ago. Know better, do better. And when you know better and you're not doing better, you can start to ask yourself, what of these human needs are not being met? Which ones are driving me towards an undesirable path? 
if you don't feel closeness, if you don't feel a legitimate strong bond in your life, you're going to feel isolated. And the opposite of addiction is connection. So that's what we're seeking. We're seeking connection. And you get this connection through being a, a part of a tribe, being a part of something bigger than yourself. This need for communication, approval, attachment, connection, vulnerability, intimacy with others, not just romantic, but like being able to sit there and share something at the depths of your soul and have it being embraced by the other person because they embrace everyone's human experience as individual and beautiful in their own. If you're not surrounding yourself with people like this, and I get it, it can be tough because not everybody listens to my show. If everybody listened to my show, we'd at least be on a more desirable path. I wouldn't say the best path. I wouldn't say the most amazing path. Other people might say that. I won't say that. But certainly, we would be working towards something. We want to find this love connection, this significance, this variety, this uncertainty, this certainty. We want to uncover these in our lives. We want to do up to the best of our ability to surround ourselves with people who are going to be willing to be a part of the growth that we are seeking in our lives. If you have an imbalance in your significant and love, you can feel isolated. And again, opposite of addiction is connection, right? You might even be lacking real genuine connection with other people because you're so worried about being significant in so many different people's lives that you're like a chameleon. You just bouncy, 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 like a Wuzzle, Wuzzle's bounce, old cartoon from the back of the day. Bouncy, 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 like Tigger. Okay, we all know Tigger. You're bouncy, 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 bouncy. But you don't stop long enough to ever actually have a real conversation with anybody because you're just bouncy, 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 bouncy. And when you start to look at the people you're going to surround yourself with, you want to ask yourself, where is their journey of growth going? Because the expansion of one's life beyond the known, the comfortable into the unknown, the uncomfortable, the growth zone, this is what you seek. Whether you realize it or not, when you chose to get sober, when you chose to step into this world, you unwittingly also agreed to grow your life beyond what you ever thought it could be. And if you're not doing that, coming home from work, sitting down in your underwear, eating donuts, watching The Simpsons, congratulations. You are beginning the process of relapse before you even realized it was coming. It's there. Stagnation, sitting around being bored. These are ways that your mind starts to talk to yourself and saying, well, look, I got sober and shit ain't getting any better. I'm still sitting around doing the same crap I didn't like to do before, but now I can't be wasted. F this. Where's the pipe? Where's the joint? Where's the bottle? Where is the addiction? Where is the fun? I'm going to bring it back in anyways. One is too many and a thousand and never enough. We already knew that, but yet we can't go on back. Somebody once asked me, so you, this, you, know, so you just quit on a dime? I'm like, well, you mean if I quit on a dime, you mean after my 17th try, it finally stuck at 40 years old? Sure, sure. We can call that stopping on a dime. If, you, if by stopping on a dime, you mean I hit the brakes so many damn times and I slid into a ditch so many damn times. <laughs> Oh, you mean uh, over, under, arrested 12, 13 times? Oh, you mean totaled four cars? You mean went through three different windshields, bounced my head off of the bottom of a pool, broke my leg skydiving, exploded my freaking ACL and MCL and meniscus, playing flag football? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, if you mean did I stop on a dime, oh, yeah, yeah, absolutely. If that dime was 417 miles long. 
The expansion of your life into the into the growth zone is what you seek. You need physical, emotional, mental, and spiritual development. This is what I call PIMS in my tribe. PIMS. There's actually a drink called PIMS Cup. It's British. It's very ironic to me that my acronym for physical, emotional, mental, and spiritual development actually is also the name of a drink that people imbibe in England. But yet it is. I've tried other ways of doing this. I, I think I did MEPS once and IMPS. And uh, what do we have? A SPIM was another uh, opportunity, but you know, there's only one vowel in there, so there's only so many different words you can come up with. So PIMS was the acronym that won. And physical, emotional, mental, and spiritual development is humongous. This is why we go to the meetings. This is why some of y'all get into Jesus. This is why some of y'all get into religion. This is why some of y'all start going to the gym, doing um, the 12-step programs, doing the refuge recovery. This is the growth you seek. How many of us got into this? Next thing you know, we're gobbling down personal development books. Not all of you may have felt the desire to throw on a headset and shout it out to the world like I did, get up on stages and talk about this stuff, but you're still growing. There's still that need for physical, emotional, mental, and spiritual development. When you first get sober, your nerve, your central nervous system, your endorphins, your, your, I think it's endocrine system, either way, don't need to get too sciencey. It is completely in flux. If you are trying to get sober and you're not doing something physically active, whether that's getting some steps or jumping some rope or going to the gym, you are cruising for a bruising. Your body needs to get rid of that energy somehow. And even if that's, even if you're 400 pounds and you think, dude, there is 0% chance that I'm going to do a jump rope. Great. Walk to the mailbox. Tomorrow, walk to the mailbox. A week from now, walk 20 paces past the mailbox. Start doing that. And a year from now, you're going to be able to walk a 5K and you're going to lose 200 pounds. Nobody's asking you to go run a marathon tomorrow. Just simply saying, how about you walk to the mailbox and back each day for a week and then maybe add on another 20 paces. And every week you add on a ton of 20 paces, you've added 2,000 paces by the end of a year. I can assure you, your body will be stronger. Now, when we start to look for contribution in our addiction recovery, we can also start to see where contribution wasn't necessarily something that we were having fulfilled in our addiction. Right? We want this sense of purpose. Purpose is externalized passion. Right? If you're really passionate about animals and you know you just um, think about animals all the time and you and you watch animal videos on YouTube about other people doing it, that's your passion to watch other people help um, starving animals, you know, abandoned animals. If you start to donate to those foundations, if you start to volunteer at an animal shelter, now you're turning your pa- passion into your purpose. Your purpose is to go and help animals. Your, your acts of service, you're helping people, you're supporting organizations, you're encouraging others, you're bringing a sense of balance to other people's lives. This externally focused energy is your contribution to society. And focused on enough, it becomes the purpose of your life, like literally where I am at right now. I have attached all six of my human needs to this episode, let alone my entire career path. Yes, I want some certainty of knowing there's some financial stability in doing this. Like anybody else who offers a service, I want to be paid in kind for the amount of effort that I've put in to learning all of this stuff and coming up with a way of teaching it to you. And it's a constant learning system for me to make sure that I'm able to meet you where you're at, that I'm able to connect with you over a speaker without any faces in front of me, without any knowledge of this is absorbing, without any feedback, lately at least, on whether the episodes are too long. 
I, in the past, I was told they were not, so we're good here until, until told otherwise, <laughs> right? The point is, I want to contribute. If you didn't feel like you were contributing to your family, in your schooling, if you didn't feel this contribution need being met, right, because you, weren't having, you didn't have significance and love and connection within a, a tribe, within your family as a child, anywhere in your entire life, right? If you don't have a love, connection, and significance, there's a very good chance that it'll be tough for you to seek out contribution. You might start to contribute to animal shelters in order to have significance and connection there, right? You want to contribute to animal shelters because it's a passion of yours. So you want to turn it into your purpose. You go, you start to volunteer. Now you've got connection and now you've got significance. So sometimes you actually can reverse engineer it the other way. Okay, I want love and connection and significance. How can I contribute to my family? How can I contribute to this meeting? How can I contribute to this organization, to this animal shelter, to this university? Now as a contributor, now I have some level of significance. I can start to go to events. Now I can have connection. Going to these events allows me a certain level of certainty and variety because it's going to be a meeting talking about animal shelter things. And at the same time, there's going to be a variety of different needs, wants, and desires that are going to come up that I could seek to fulfill. Boom. Now you're contributing. That contribution has you you physically, emotionally, mentally, and spiritually growing. Now that's being fulfilled. And all of that circles back to the connections and significance you created by going to those places and offering your services, which was all part of your contribution, which is now uplifting your variety and your uncertainty and your certainty needs. And do you see how this stuff is so freaking interconnected? And when you're asking yourself what's motivating you to quit something or stick with something in your sobriety and recovery, all you got to do is literally sit down and say, okay, how were these needs being met or not met? How were these needs not being met as a child when you had the trauma that ultimately led you to start to seek other ways of having them be met. And rather than coming across, I don't know, a really awesome sports team or a really awesome community or a club that uplifted you, instead you started being introduced to addictive substances, right? You had a childhood, then you had trauma, then you then you had uh, addiction curious because nobody starts off just, you know, free base and heroin at five years old, right? You started getting addiction curious at a young age. You may have turned that into sugar. You may have turned that into TV. Certainly kids nowadays could be turning that into social media or staring at a screen. The next thing you know, now they're 10, 11, 12. They're already showing early signs of addictive behaviors because of the way they're trying to compartmentalize their life and control the chaos or trying to act out and be more chaotic because of the stability that they don't want. And next thing you know, somebody introduces them to a beer, right? And I may not like the taste, but you know what? I'll drink it a bunch of times and then the taste isn't so bad. And next thing you know, you're drinking a little liquor, then here are little cigarettes, and here's a little marijuana, and here's a little cocaine, and here's a little LSD, and some ecstasy, and before you know it, you're a 25-year-old doing meth. Cigarettes and alcohol, these things aren't, aren't, the, gate, aren't the gateway to addict- addiction. Trauma, suffering, challenges, these core human needs not being met, that's the gateway drug. These these symptoms that we have when we go through these traumas, we seek for them to be met. We're seeking medicine, and that's where the addictive substances show up. 
No 13-year-old first introduced to marijuana ever thinks that in seven years they're going to be selling their body for crack on the street, but it's a ladder that they've climbed. And if that's a ladder similar to what you've climbed, you can begin to start asking yourself, how can I attach my human needs towards my sobriety and recovery? How can I get them fulfilled in a more beneficial, positive way so that my life can begin to up-level to where I want it to be? And when you find yourself quitting a certain club, not going to a certain meeting, quitting an instrument you tried on, stopping doing a new hobby, simply step back and just look at a piece of paper and say, how was certainty or uncertainty or love and connection and significance and growth and contribution, how were these needs not being met in this particular activity? Do I want to continue doing this activity? Let's figure out a way to connect these human needs. If you don't really want to continue doing it, find something else that excites you and then start attaching these human needs to it. Talking about change doesn't do shit for your life. Not a thing, guys. Action, action, action. There's a reason why it's my fourth principle in my book. Take action. Your thoughts, your feelings, they are whatever they are. You can seek to begin to reframe them in your mind. You can begin to shift them more desirably. You can start to release your anger. You can start to release your traumas. You can start to heal through these things, whether it's through my show, through the hub, through my coaching, whether it's through all the hundreds of thousands of other people out there offering similar services who want to be of service and contribute to your life. There are a myriad of ways to get sober. There's a myriad of ways step into sobriety and recovery and journey on into your best life. None of them, absolutely none of them, this is absolutely positively an amazing place for a definitive, for a universal qualifier, for an absolute, like none of them will ever stick, will ever come to fruition, will ever be something that brings long lasting change if you do not take action. If you do not change your behaviors, if you do not notice your patterns that are creating your habits, if you do not dissect them and figure out what led you here, how do you expect to lead yourself more desirably down the path that you want? Putting blinders on and just thinking everything's going to figure itself out is not the way that it works. You can't just pray it all away. And it leads me to this one joke I once heard where this guy hurricane's coming in, right? His house starts to flood, so he gets on his roof and he prays to God, God, please save me, save me. And here comes a here comes a little uh, little uh, motorized fishing boat. Hey, buddy, your, your house is getting ready to go under. You should jump in my boat. We'll go to safety. No, no, man, I got it. I prayed to God. God's going to help save me. All right, man, I'm out. All right, water continues to rise. Water continues to rise. Next thing you know, somebody comes by in another boat. Hey, man, jump on in my boat. I'm going to save you. No, man, I pray to God. I'm good. I'm good. You go on ahead. He's going to, God is going to definitely save me. House is almost underwater. Here comes a helicopter, throws a rope down. Grab a hold of the rope. Grab a hold of the rope. We'll pull you up out of this. We'll get you to safety. No, man, you go on ahead without me. I pray to God. God is going to save me. All right, man, we're out then. Good luck. Water overtakes the house, man drowns, gets up to heaven. God's standing there at the gates and like, what's up, bro? What the hell did you just do? And the guy's like, what are you talking about, man? I was praying to you all freaking day. And now here I am dead. And he's like, man, I sent you two boats and a helicopter. What the hell more did you want from me? Take action, guys. This isn't a passive show anymore. It's time to step into your meant to be. And you've got to take action. You've got 
to do the things that you already know you need to do, but for some reason you've been pushing back on, and now you know what's been motivating you, your core human needs. Sit down with a piece of paper and ask yourself, the things that you have been doing long-term, how are these needs being met? Because that's why you continue to do something. Things that you've quit, things that you've let slide, things that you've let just sort of evaporate away, run them through the same system. Why did those things go away? I get, me and my therapist had a very spirited conversation about this other day, that when addiction takes its full-on hold, it starts to choke the life out of you. It's like that becomes the number one thing. And then that's where these human needs go out the window. And my, my rebuttal to that was these human needs never go out the window. Your awareness as to how you're fulfilling them does, but they don't ever go out the window. And when we hit rock bottom and we find ourselves in jail, when we find ourselves on the street, when we find ourselves in a fucking shit tub full of our own filth and we get out, right? Then we look back and we're like, man, if my addiction was fulfilling my human needs, it was a good run, but it sure as hell ain't fulfilling them anymore. Rock bottom isn't a place, it's an attitude. And that's when we start to really look at our lives and say, you know what? This is just not working anymore. I am sick and tired of being sick and tired. It is time to do something different. That's when you unconsciously started to notice, and hopefully consciously as well in some regard, that your human needs were no longer being met by your addiction. Because they were when you started. That's why you kept doing it. It was muting your traumas. It was muting your emotions. You were finding certainty and variety and connection and love and significance. You were finding these in your addiction, whether you were growing or whether you were contributing, right? Certain areas you were, certain times you weren't. You were always growing. You just, right? You're growing in the wrong direction, but you're still growing, right? Sort of like that elephant who gets lost in the in the windstorm in the Sahara and is trying to follow the rest of the herd and gets turned around. And next thing you know, they're using scent. They're smelling the herd go one way. Well, that was the way they'd already come from. The herd's actually going another way. They're still moving. They're just moving in the wrong direction. One that is going to lead to death in the desert. So my rebuttal back wasn't that when the addiction finally takes hold and is just dragging you down like 4,000 elephants chained to your feet while you're in the middle of the ocean. You didn't know. It's, it's not that these human needs st- stopped being met. It's just that you are so deep down into it, you're not even noticing whether they are or aren't anymore. And when we drag ourselves down on the freaking barrier reef at the bottom of our own hell, and we're dragging ourselves across this coral, Right? We're thinking this has got to be rock bottom. This is when you start to this is when the awareness of the human needs not being met comes back into the forefront of our minds. This is when we begin to make the shifts. It's this level of awareness that brought you to this show. Something isn't working, and I want it to work. So what can I do to help myself make this work? Somewhere in there, there wasn't a certainty in your sobriety and recovery, or there wasn't enough variety. You didn't feel uh, significant in some areas of your life. You didn't feel connected and loved. Maybe your growth felt stagnant. You didn't feel like you were contributing in the way that you wanted to contribute. And so you started to seek other means. And blessed be you found me. And blessed be you probably found a myriad of other people's too. I am just part of it. I am just a supplement to what it is that you're doing. I can be an inspiration, but I cannot be your motivation. Motivation is internal. And now you understand the core needs at a deeper level. You understand that this is where the motivation, this, if you're, if you're looking for like the, the mouth, not the mouth, the head of the river, 
It's these core needs. Everything else that flows out to the mouth of the river, which is what you externalize as your life, is being motivated by the current of these six human needs being met. If they're not being met desirably, then I would be pretty pretty confident in saying your life probably isn't very desirable either. If they're being met desirably, I'd be pretty confident in saying that your life is pretty desirable. Both of those being subjective perspectives, because what you might think is desirable, somebody else might think is undesirable, but I can promise you, I used to wake up in a shit tub, now I wake up in a warm, comfy bed. Warm, comfy bed will always been over shit tub. Someone who doesn't know what a crap tub is might think, oh no, my bed needs to be, you know, made of, of angel tears and, 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 and uh, you know, I don't know, some extinct animal's feathers, right? They may not understand the depths of my despair. I don't need them to. You need to understand yours. Heal your things. Take action. Understand that your behaviors, the things that you do over and over and over again, those are the things that create patterns. These are the things creating habits, and they are being fueled by these motivating factors of the core human needs. You think that I dove into this awesomely now? You got to come check out the hub. I am going to shred through this. And here, coming up in the summer, we're going to discuss anger management. We're going to discuss how to shift your emotional state uh, in seconds, not from 45 minutes of meditation. We are going to literally show you how you can shift your emotional state in a heartbeat by simply just stopping yourself. Uh, I'm not even going to get into it. June's going to be fantastic. May is already lined up. I'm shooting most of the rest of the videos this weekend. I've already created a majority of the workbooks. It is going to be fantastic. Please come join. We start releasing the new trainings um, here Monday morning. It's going to be fantastic. There's already an entire course uh, it's like seven or eight trainings with awesome bonuses and manuals. It's absolutely fantastic. I continue to grow it. It's still in beta mode because I'm learning so much, much more on how to bring more. You get to be there for the beginning stages. If these core human needs have, have inspired you to motivate yourself around these and discovering where you are or are not attaching them in order to create the life that you're living, please join the hub. Stand up. Raise your hand. I will call on you. As always, my friends, inclusivity over exclusivity, the power of positive energy, release and flow. Every day is the best day of our lives when we wake up sober. Feel that when I say it because it is the truth. And if you're not feeling it, ask yourself where your human needs are not being met and then start fulfilling those human needs around your sobriety and recovery. Doesn't matter how you were fulfilling them anymore as an addict, as far as what it means about creating your life now. You go back and you take the lessons from the past and you leave the sadness and the trauma back there where it belongs. And you bring the lesson up here and let's start utilizing it now. Okay? Let's shout out to sunshine. Glow on. I'll see you next week. Bye bye.